Welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only show that dares to be both on-topic or on-premise, and sometimes on-location or on-premises. Each time we meet, we bring together a group of IT experts to discuss a single idea. The premise for today's episode, which is brought to you by Hammerspace, is data orchestration, and specifically the sort of dichotomy between storing data and making data useful, or and, and how those things interact. So before we get into this premise, let's meet who's on the panel today. Hi, I'm Molly Presley, and I represent Hammerspace on this panel. I'm responsible for the marketing department here. And I'm Justin Warren. I'm principal consultant at uh, Pivot9 Independent Consultants. I'm Chris Evans. I'm an analyst and consultant with Architecting RT. And I'm Stephen Foskett, organizer of Tech Field Day and publisher of Gestalt IT. And all we all four go way back together. And I think that all of us have sort of banged our heads against the wall sometimes over the notion that storage is somehow an end and not just a means to data. But really, it's all about doing useful things, not just uh, storing data. So I guess, Molly, you know, why don't you kick us off here with a little talk. Uh, what is data orchestration as opposed to data management or data protection or, or any of the other things? Yeah, you bet. And if you're Googling around about data orchestration, you'll see that in the structured data world, it's kind of a solved problem and something that's being put into use in the structured data with many, many companies across many applications. But this idea of data orchestration, so definition-wise, really being able to move your data to where you need it, when you need it, wherever that is, you know, that's kind of the general concept, has been much more difficult in the unstructured data world due to many reasons, which I'm sure we'll chat some about, but the, the size of the data, the complexity of the data, there's a lot of data you create you don't need. There's been a lot of challenges that have made data orchestration tough to solve in the unstructured data space, but very valuable for those who do. Um, yeah, Molly, a lot of, I mean, moving data around is, is pretty tricky, particularly when you've got large chunks of it. Um, I mean, I, I live on a very long way away from the rest of the world, so the tyranny of distance bites me pretty hard. Uh, so there's, I've been quite interested in a lot of changes where people are moving compute workloads to the data rather than moving the data around. So, I mean, we've seen a big rise in edge computing, um, particularly sort of seems to be both creating more data that we need to then move around uh, but also putting more workloads near that data. How, how does that fit in with your, your idea of data orchestration? It's a good question. And I think the advent of the cloud led to a lot of some of the technologies that enabled this, but also some of the challenges that by putting cloud regions in local proximity, say to Australia and London and Denver, um, you certainly have a place to store your data that's a little bit more local or a lot more local, reducing latency, but still you have to get it there. And a lot of the cloud vendors don't have good solutions without a data orchestration layer for moving from S3 bucket to S3 bucket or region to region. Um, you know, so there's technologies that exist within distributed erasure coding, local cloud regions, whether you're using public or private object stores that help. But in a lot of cases, there, I think what you're getting to, Justin, is really important is you only want to move the data you really need to. You want to have good solutions for parsing out what is valuable data. Maybe you don't move an entire directory or an entire project, but just a single file. Be as granular as possible so that you can be efficient with the networking and everything else that's involved when you're moving data around. And so that has a lot to do with 
metadata that knows a lot about the data that the users can interact with, and then invoke only a data move when it's absolutely necessary. And when you do, use the best infrastructure out there to do that efficiently. I think it's worth highlighting as well that if you look back at, say, I don't know, over the last 20 years, maybe, we've seen a real transition from this, the sorts of data and the sources of that data, just in sort of touching on it earlier, you know, talking about edge and so on. But ultimately, we moved from a world of, of a large volume of structured data to much more unstructured data, but not only just a different type of data, but we, we're using that data together. So we're building more complex workflows, we're building more complex usages of that data. And where data previously started uh, a lifetime where it started out really valuable, and over time faded away to, to nothing, if you like, and became, and became not valuable at all. The lifetime of that data changes over its like you know over time because suddenly we see new uses for it. So now, rather than just keeping something and slowly effect, slowly fading it away, we could be retaining it, we could be moving it. It could ha be really important at one point in time, and then suddenly not. But also, it might need to be somewhere else with other data to be more important. So it's not just about keeping it; it's about mobility, and it's much more complicated than it ever used to be. You know, I was just writing a white paper that I thought was kind of interesting in the space that ties to what you're saying, Chris, that um, in the life sciences space, we used to think about genomics, microscopy, pharmaceutical research, and these were all different workloads. And the idea that they all had built up their own systems for creating, storing, analyzing, and that was pretty well solved. But now there's something called multiomics, where they're wanting to merge all of that data, these complex systems, so that you can have genomics data informing pharmaceutical research, for example. I think that a lot of how we want to use data, like you're saying, Chris, has changed a lot and led the need to move it around a lot more versus having it just sit in the storage system where it was originally created. I think in a lot of ways, it's actually easier to move things than before. Because I mean, as you point out, Chris, a lot of the data that we had earlier was quite structured because it was the sort of stuff like you manually typed it in. There was a, there was a, that was a job. You would sit there and do data entry. We got better at data entry and we got better at data entry for the like really big unstructured things like photographs. You know, we, digital cameras happened. It used to be that you'd have to do it on film and then you'd scan it. That was quite cumbersome. And we have all of this unstructured data that, as you point point out, it gets more valuable over time. You know, a lot of it lives in things called museums. I'm not sure if the, the younger listeners will necessarily remember what those are, but there's a lot of material in there that is actually getting digitized. And as you point out, Molly, now we can all share that. So, I mean, like through the pandemic, we were able to go and look at photos and, and videos of, of things in museums on the other side of the world. Again, something that I value a lot. Um, so I don't have to actually physically get on, a, on an airplane to go and access some of this data. I'd like to kind of bring us to this point, though, because we've mentioned the word unstructured and we've mentioned structured. And, um, you know, when we're talking about those, I think that it's important to, I guess, set a baseline of, of what we mean by these things, because I think one of the fundamental differences for most modern data sets, you're right, Justin, that years ago we used to sit and, um, you know, do data entry and, and, and fill up databases with information and, and have all the associated metadata that went around it as well. Now, I think we've entered a world where, yes, we have more unstructured data, but we also have more metadata. And um, that is making this unstructured data set actually sort of structured in a way in terms of having metadata that refers to it. So I guess, Molly, when you're talking about unstructured data, 
What do you mean um, by that? And can you give us some concrete examples of, of what are the data sets that people are orchestrating now? You bet. So the idea of what kind of data we're talking about, it's video, file, audio, um, the types of data that comes off of sensors, autonomous vehicles, um, microscopes, rockets, things like that, in addition to movie date, movie visual effects, animation, those type, that type of data, not so much the business produced data based data, as you mentioned, Stephen. And there's a handful of reasons that it makes it tough. There's just a lot of volume of it. And, you know, we've all been talking about edge data, um, the rise of how data is being used by artificial intelligence engines, and you want to feed data to those engines, but they also create data. And so there's just a lot of pieces for those types of data sets that we're now figuring out how to create more. Um, and to your point, how to give it some structure or something you can query through metadata so you can have a better understanding of what exists, where was it created, when, and a lot of even smarter fields as well with metadata. So I think it's funny, isn't it, that we use the term structured and unstructured because historically structured meant in a relational database or something similar, structured in the sense of rows and columns and all that sort of stuff. And actually the unstructured data is highly structured. You know, you look at the internal structure of something like a, a video or an image, or as Molly mentioned, something off a microscope or something taken from a sensor, it's still really structured. It's just that it's not stored in a complex um, platform that manipulates it directly on your behalf. So now you've got content that you're moving around and you have to manage individually, which is where the metadata comes in. And that becomes super critical because you haven't got the platform to do that bit for you anymore. So you need to add that additional information to that data in order to manage it. And obviously over time, there's a there's a really interesting bit here where you, you start thinking, well, could I add more metadata to this by looking at the content? Could I generate more metadata and actually build on the data itself and add more metadata to it and then manage it even more um, effectively? And I think those are the sorts of techniques I think we're going to have to see more of because as the data becomes um, more valuable to us and we want to do something with it, we might want to track, track its lifetime, where we've used it, how we've used it, what it contains, security, you name it. There's all sorts of things that could go on here. So the metadata is going to be a super critical part to that mobility and to that orchestration piece. I think one thing I would add to what Chris is talking about that has evolved in the technology is, you know, this podcast is called on-premise and we were talking about, let's not just store data, but be able to use it. And there have been a lot of technology innovations over the last five, 10 years around, it used to be that the storage system kind of dictated the unstructured data rules, the metadata around the POSIX file system and things like that. And so a lot of the intelligence you had was built into the storage system or the storage silo. And that even happened in the cloud. It was just a different storage silo. And a lot of what has enabled orchestration of this unstructured data to be possible in a much more distributed way is by raising the file system and raising the metadata out of the individual storage system so that it's accessible by many, whether those are humans or applications, and it's less location um, specific. Yeah, unfortunately, technology has, well, the industry generally has kind of done that for a long time where we've, we've been restrained by what our tools can do and what the tool does dictates what we think is possible. Whereas 
we really want is we want to kind of go, well, actually, if we had better technology, what could we do with it? So like data orchestration is really about, well, what do I want to do with this data? It shouldn't be, oh, I'm only able to do things with it if it can be structured in an RDBMS. Like if I can't do it with SQL, it's just impossible to do. Well, we need to rethink that. So what if we could actually have technology that did it the way that we like to do it? So maybe we could change the technology instead of having to change the humans. And it's interesting to me to see as well that this is happening across structured data as well. There's a huge move toward NoSQL and basically creating data lakes and data lake houses and all those sort of things. So the same question is coming in the structured data space as is coming in unstructured, uh, meaning non-database data, which is essentially how can we make this data useful instead of just storing it? or instead of, as you say, Justin, having the tools dictate what we can and can't do with our data. And that gets me to this, This I, I love the idea of orchestration because I love the idea of basically this, this metaphor of a conductor that's saying, you know, take some data from here and move it over there and, you know, make it, make it over there. Oh no, now we're going to pull it back, you know, and, and kind of moving it around as needed, having it appear as needed. Is that really what you mean by this? Yeah, from the hammer space perspective, really what we're looking at is that a, a customer who has an RFP and is looking at a data architecture today, and this kind of ties with what Justin is saying, is they're wanting to relook at their architectures and say, okay, I live in a hybrid cloud world. I have remote workforce. I do have to share data outside of my orchestration. Let me look at my data architecture and how to do that. And then when they do that, they want to be able to orchestrate it based on business rules. And that may have to do with compliance or security or access or any number of things, performance, latency, and ensure that automatically, because this data is way too big for humans to manage manually, you know, making a data set, moving it, copying it based on IT ticket, that's not scalable at the size of data sets we're talking about. So understanding business rules and then placing the data where it needs to be placed to meet those business rules, whether that's a certain security or reliability or whatever it is, is really what the orchestration is about. Yeah, I think you could look at, say, um, I don't know, the obvious one is a news organization that records clips of um, reports maybe or takes in feeds from different locations or whatever it happens to be. Ultimately, they need to do something with that, that content and maybe they transcode it into different formats so somebody can edit it. Maybe they send it to an editor. Maybe they ship it back out. And in the US, not necessarily in the UK as much, but in the US, you have lots of smaller news outlets and they potentially are all part of a syndicate and want to get that content back out and be able to broadcast it. So you can imagine just on that one simple example how data can come in as part of a workflow, you apply the business rules Molly just mentioned, you know, you, trans you transcode it, you index it, you track it, you copyright it, or whatever it happens to be, you add all of that metadata, you, you've modified the data potentially somehow, you give it to somebody to do some work with, you want to audit who got that and who has that access. And then when it comes back, then you want to broadcast it. So over the course of the lifetime of that data, it changes significantly. But then eventually you archive it and you archive it in such a way you can find it again in the future. And then when you do want to bring it back from that platform where it's archived, you might need to have it on a, a decent platform to do something with it at a high performance level again. So again, it, it goes back to that whole thing about lifetime, doesn't it? And you know how the data changes over its life, but also how different people might want to interact it, with it over its lifetime as well. Yeah, we've also been seeing to tie to that, that 
a lot of organizations find there's a lot of efficiencies when they have smart metadata and data orchestration that is not specific to a storage system. Because if you think about how a lot of these systems, like you were just describing, Chris, and when you go into the archive, it was maybe disconnected from the application. Or when it was moved into Glacier, it was disconnected from the users and application on in the data center. And a lot of what we're seeing the business value of these orchestration tools being, a, a good example being, you're a visual effects studio, you've made many sequences of cars exploding for race sequences. And instead of starting from scratch or trying to remember which project, which storage system, which files had that, you can search and it doesn't really matter where that content sits and just say, show me all the sequences that have cars blowing up and maybe they can repurpose or you know modify slightly. And so a lot of this makes it easier to kind of know what you knew once and make it accessible and being able to access that content. Yeah, removing that friction from the the kind of use case that you actually have with the data is really important because a lot of enterprises, and I've been doing some work with them recently, uh, they, they have orchestration systems, but they're quite generic and they're, they're based on, well, we need to have a workflow engine that we can then design around what our specific workflows are. Um, a, a lot of the time they're just, these workflows came about because we had project managers who were trying to manage it in Excel. Um, it may not necessarily be the best workflow, imposing that again taking the technology that we had and then not modernizing it imposing it on the systems actually makes things worse whereas if you have a, a, a sort of a data native workflow if you have something that understands how data works and what the use cases people actually have for working with data is you remove a lot of that friction of having to leave the data metaphor go off into other systems bring in people who don't really know how this works and then you have that, as Chris, you mentioned earlier, that the coordination between lots of different people, if you're coordinating within the kind of native ecosystem and the native metaphors of that, that data system, you're not bringing in all of this friction of having to translate it into something that someone else can understand. So, you know, ultimately it, it's, it seems that we're discussing to a certain degree, two things here, really, we're, we're talking about separation of the data and the ability to do something with it and the, the way that we store the data. So it's very easy, I think, to fall into that trap and think that everything is going to be done on a storage system that has to have all of these filters, fil sorry, features built into it. And I think actually from my experience and the way I've looked at it, I, I look at this and think, well, in reality, I'd like to divorce the two because ultimately the storage system just becomes the thing that actually looks after it for me. So I'd rather have a, a set of storage attributes that say, make sure I'm securing it properly, that I've got the right level of protection and security, uh, access, throughput, you know, latency performance. But actually, I want to layer on top of that, the data layer that says, well, when I want to do something with it, I want the data layer to say what the policies are that is, are assigned to that application use case. And it may well be that the physical data moves somewhere and that doesn't change the policy of how I want to actually look after that data. A new system might come in, I want to migrate it or I just want to archive it, whatever it happens to be. So I think we really have to look at it and think that those two things are really quite separate. Yeah, I think we want we want more librarians. Absolutely, yeah, definitely. And the idea of the data architect, right? That's a bit on the rise right now. People who are looking after the data, not the IT. Is that kind of what you're referring to? Yeah, I, I think we, well, librarian is a name that we already know and exist. And like, mm -hmm. they, these are people who are really, really good at understanding how you manage information. So I, I think they've, they've had a bad rap. I, I like librarians always have. Um, and, and I 
I think I've thought in many organisations I've worked in, what we really need here is a librarian uh, because they are able to understand how to work with information and how to organise it in a way that works. And it's it's not a really well-valued skill, I think, even inside technology, let alone the rest of society. And I really think that there's a lot we could learn from the long, long history that librarians have of managing information, as you say, Chris, independent of how it's stored and being able to orchestrate that information in ways that humans find useful. It is a useful metaphor, isn't it? The library, the data library, because, um, you know, a, a typical library where, you know, we only see the books on the shelves, but there's a lot more books and there's a lot more other types of information, other types of resources that are involved. And um, they have a, a knack for putting things in the right place at the right time and making them available and exposing them to people who need. So I, I like that metaphor. Yeah, I would just add that idea of the librarian and the longevity of data. It kind of goes to the idea that we've also, as an industry, grappled with what does happen because your data largely all has a long, more longevity than your storage system. Your storage system is maybe five or 10 years and you want your data to last a lot longer than that. And being automated as well as ensuring that your data will outlive your storage system and be findable, you know, even outlive the applications and potentially the humans who create it, I think is a really valuable piece to this. And that's a lot of what the librarian concept ties to as well. I, I like that analogy as well. Do you know, I don't know if you remember, but there was a, a project in the UK called the Doomsday Project. I think it's about 30 years ago. And they, they put it on Laserdisc, which of course nobody's got anymore. And very quickly that format was was unusual well i don't think they lost the data i think somebody eventually would have copied that off but it didn't become easily accessible to people and well i'm sure we can think of dozens of examples where data is on the right the wrong foot the wrong medium if you like um even if the format is still readable the medium itself might not be uh, whether that's old tapes or whatever it happens to be so having i think a librarian that can curate both the data and somebody who can curate the, the storage is a two really important aspects to this. Yeah, that curation, I think, is is a, an overlooked uh, aspect of things that is really important, not just for being able to move things between mediums and make sure that it's always current, but one thing that librarians in particular do is that they cull. They remove, like books get damaged, they need to be replaced with a new one. So there there is a real role there for making sure that it's high-quality data that we have and that things are that we no longer need, or in fact, we deliberately don't want to store anymore to make sure that that's actually disposed of appropriately. That's an aspect I think is overlooked. Like there, there is a pressure, as you mentioned, Chris, that we want to keep data for longer because it might become useful. Um, that rubs up pretty hard against things like, well, actually, we want to make sure that we destroy this information so that it can't get stolen um, or that we don't invade someone's privacy when, you know, if we get hacked. So there's, there's that curation aspect of things as well. I think that's an important part of, of orchestrating this data. And fundamentally, it comes down, I think, to kind of transcending the basics of the systems and the basics of the tools. You know, if, if, if libraries were just about shelves full of books, then that wouldn't be all that interesting. But uh, it's all the other things that happen that transcends that. And I think it's the same with storage. If data storage systems were just you know, disks and flash and, you know, have the, put the data in, get the data out. Well, that's not all that interesting. And, um, but if, if there's something that we can do with that, if there's some way that we can in integrate that and, and better organize and better present that data, then it suddenly really transforms the value of the whole system. 
do we need to think then exactly how that's achieved in in the sense that say we do get somebody who's good at uh, managing the data and making sure they understand it and the structure and the content if we can't make that data available to somebody when they want to use it and where they want to use it is that really a benefit at all you know if you can't get into the library or you know the library's closed when you want to when, want to borrow the book it's not really that much help so there's a degree here of having that friction removed from the access point so that you know if you want to use that data in one location it can be moved there so you can do it and i think that's another critical aspect to the to the discussion that we're having yeah so i think you've touched on it there of like what's the difference between data management and data orchestration why do we need a new word i think it's what you point out, point out there chris is it's the moving of the data around making sure it's available when we need it uh, molly do you think that is that accurate yeah, I, I think the way we would describe it is you don't want to separate the users from their data. And so often with data management, you're making a copy to another location um, that maybe requires different networking or connectivity and things like that. And so I think the simple way I would describe it is that the applications and users connect once to the data orchestration system and no matter where the data resides and if there's one copy or multiple that can be presented to the application user directly all the time. And in, and in some respects, you've got sort of two layers here, haven't you, really? So there's like a front-end um, set of policies, set of requirements that say, I want to access it. This is what I want to do with the data. But also there's a back-end set of policies that say, this data is valuable, so let's keep two copies. Or this data needs this level of performance, let's make sure it's on this type of platform. The, there's, a, there's a number of sort of customer facing, if you like, and administrative things that fall into that librarian set of roles around how you present the data and how you manage it. So I think the two of them are really important together. Yeah. Yeah. Data management, data orchestration really do have to go hand in hand, but I would further say that it's awfully hard to manage data if the tools are limited and you can't then orchestrate it, that you can't then do the things that you want to do to move it and to place it and to present it. And um, I think that that's one of the things that we really have been lacking. So I guess to to wrap this up, um, you know, wh what do you all think? Uh, is is data orchestration a model that we need, and is it truly making data useful? Um, why don't we go in reverse order of of introduction? Uh, what do y'all think? Well, I think we are in a much more complex world than we ever were with data. We've got so many more sources of data. We've got so many more uses for data. We've got so much more data that we really can't re get the value out of the data that we have unless we do some sort of level of orchestration. Ultimately, our data will stay static and it will be unused, and then there'll be no point. So I think we're going to have to we're going to have to build these solutions in. Um, I, I think that the nature of the problem hasn't really changed ever because there's nothing new under the sun. I, I think the advantage we have right now is that technology has actually advanced to the point where we can start solving the problems more from the human perspective and the actual customer need rather than having the tools dictate to what is allowed. That's a real opportunity. And I think we need to kind of unthink how we've used to do it, abandon some of those concepts and free our minds. Uh, and imagine a better world where we actually can do it the way we we would have wanted to do it originally. We just didn't have the stuff. Now we do. So let's get on with it. Yeah, I think that ever since 
the data center stopped being at the center of data as clouds, multi-data center, edge, all became more and more common. Organizations have been figuring out a way to orchestrate their data or move their data somehow. They've had to. It's just been sometimes homegrown. It's not been a commercial product that's supported. Maybe it, you know, was not reliable There's or is manually driven. There's been issues with it. And I think that as the market has continued to evolve and data is accelerating its creation, and now you see you can't turn around without looking at AI engines and you think about how will you get the data do you want you want to different AI engines. Um, this will be, is it is an evolution and customers have been doing it, but better commercial products that have better scale, better reliability are things they're starting to look to, to continue to power their data businesses. Yeah. And, and it, to me, it really comes down to this fact that when you look at storage systems today, they look a lot like storage systems from previous decades. They haven't really fundamentally advanced beyond the questions of storage media and to some extent, some of the data management features. But overall, um, the basic protocols, the basic ways that we're using storage hasn't advanced very much, except in cases of structured data and object storage and things like that. Yet we can't get away from it. We can't get away from file servers. We can't get away from you know the same uh, file protocols that we've used in the past. And so we have to figure out better ways of of using those systems and solutions in, in a more intelligent way. So it seems to me that that's the 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 question here when it comes to data orchestration and why it's important that this is focused on unstructured data. Well, thank you everyone for joining us here uh, on this podcast. Before we go, uh, where can we connect with you and continue this conversation? On the Hammerspace side, the area I would point you to, of course, our website, but on hammerspace.com, if you look under the videos page, there's a lot of interesting conversations there with customers, with thought leaders. This podcast itself will probably end up landing there. But, you know, I think for each industry, it's a little bit different, the types of challenges they're trying to solve. And I'd point you there so you can get a little bit more specific in, specific information for your use case or for your market on how you could use data orchestration. Uh, you can find me all over the place, really. I, I pop up in all sorts of interesting places, but the, I mean, the main home for us is at pivot9.com. And uh, if you're particularly interested in hearing my thoughts, uh, I have a weekly newsletter that you can subscribe to called The Crux. Similarly, um, yeah, I would say that you can find me in lots of different places, but rea in reality, architecting.it online and on LinkedIn. And you can find on my website discussions about data center, sorry, data centric architectures, which is basically what we're talking about today. And as for me, you'll find me here on the on-premise IT podcast on Tuesdays. You'll also find me on Mondays at Utilizing Tech, which we're focusing on edge computing this season, as well as on Wednesdays in the Gestalt IT Rundown. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do subscribe so you don't miss an episode and give us a rating or review. You'll find this show in your favorite podcast application as well as on YouTube at YouTube slash Gestalt IT video. This podcast was brought to you by Hammerspace as well as by GestaltIT.com, your home for IT coverage from across the enterprise. For show notes and more episodes, go to GestaltIT.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.